When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. She's directed on the Marvel series Jessica Jones and the Defenders, and she's making her feature directorial debut with Sony's... We're going to do it again. She's directed on the Marvel series Jessica Jones and the Defenders, and she's making her feature directorial debut with Sony Marvel's Madam Web. We welcome filmmaker S.J. Clarkson to Deadline's Crew Call today. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. So you've been in the Marvel Universe before as the pilot director of the very serious, uh, very sublime Jessica Jones, and you also directed the first two episodes of um, that Marvel show's spinoff, The Defenders. What made you come back here with Madam Web? Well, you know, I hadn't actually been in the Marvel Universe before Jessica Jones. That was my first introduction, and I read the script, and I was, you know, intrigued. And then I read the graphic novel, and I thought it was extraordinary, incredible storytelling. I wasn't a comic book person growing up, um, but I thought the brevity of the storytelling and the narration and these incredible graphic frames were really exciting. So I guess I got excited, and that was my foundation. And and when Madame Web came along, I found her original interesting and different enough to make it something that I was very excited to get on board with. So is this feature based on any particular comic book, meaning like edition or issue? No, I mean, obviously she comes from the Amazing Spider-Man comics. I think she first came into the publishing world in 1980, November 1980. Um, And that was really where, you know, only the place that I knew her from. I didn't know her from anything else. And the script got sent to me and I didn't really know who this character was other than from the comics. And it was clearly an origin story. And I thought it was a really interesting, exciting world to explore. For the non-fanboys listening, by the way, this question will aggravate the fanboys. Uh, but for the non-fanboys listening, who is she? Was she a girlfriend of Spider of, of Spider Man's? Was she an associate? Did they go to high school together? Well, in the comic book, she's actually in her sixties, and Spider Man goes to her to uh, seek advice of her psychic powers, which sometimes work, sometimes don't. Uh, And so that's how they know each other. I guess it's an associate that he uh, meets along his journeys. We have Julia Cornwall. Mm -hmm. We have Maddie Franklin, Anya Corazon. Are they in the initial part of the, you know, the 1980 origin story? Or did they just kind of get, did they just parachute into the feature here? They're in the feature. I mean, they're part of, obviously, the Marvel Universe. They're these characters in the Spider-Verse. But no, they were sort of formed together for this particular film. They do. There are certain comics that have some of those characters connected in it, which is, I think, where the original idea from the original writers came from. Um, They were sent to me with these characters in it, which was just an exciting concept, actually, to take some of these alternative, less-known characters from the universe and amalgamate them with her. Now, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, are any of them in the animated Spider-Verse? Not that I'm aware of. 
Because what was interesting is I could swear Matt, when I saw Maddie Franklin's costume, I'm like, I think she's in Spider-Verse. Because she's got, but she's not allowed. I think that's Jessica, isn't it, in Spider-Verse? I think she's Jessica in Spider-Verse. Okay. Similar, okay. I guess, yeah. But obviously completely separate. We uh, shot them at different times and I hadn't even seen that before we finished ours. So. Tell me about how the project got off the ground, how, how you landed the script and how you pitched Sony. Was it with storyboards? Was it with a song and dance? Well, I come from musicals, so maybe I should have done a song and dance. But uh, no, I didn't do a song and dance. I got to send the script uh, way back, actually, sort of pre-pandemic. That's how long ago it was. And and I did. I, I'm not going to lie. I initially sit there and thought, clairvoyance, what am I going to do with this? Like, wow, like she doesn't sort of spin webs or bend metal or fly. But I found the whole concept of psychic powers and clairvoyance and seeing the near future and how exciting that could be, how visceral, how scary. I saw the thrill of it, the cerebral nature of it, and I got very excited about the potential of this being a psychological thriller. And that's sort of what I pitched them. And they did say, how are you going to do the clairvoyance? And I was like, it's going to be really cool. Uh, at the time, I was still sort of figuring it out, I think. But I'd recently done a six-part series where there was a lot of flashbacks and memory. And when I was thinking about clairvoyance, I thought, well, what is it? How do we – I've never had clairvoyance or psychic premonitions. But I do have memories and I do think about things and I do recall things that have happened. So what if psychic powers is a bit like memory and and thought sort of in reverse, as it were, sort of, you know, in the future? So that was really where I came at sort of the idea of seeing it fragmented, non-linear, as we do memory, you know, a slipstream of images and sounds that don't always come together. And then taking that into the action world, how might you sort of punch that up editorially and cinematically to make it a really exciting ride? Well, and there's some of that in Jessica Jones. There's a lot of of memory, a lot of bad memories for her. PTSD. I would say it's PTSD in Jessica Jones. She definitely has PTSD from an abusive relationship. You know exactly, yeah. So, because this is your feature directorial debut, and you've directed several several episodes of television, I'm getting the sense you didn't have to go in and make a sizzle reel and say, "Hey, this is what I'm thinking." You could easily point them to, "Oh, just look at the episode of this." We're we're kind of in this vicinity stylistically. For sure. I mean, one of the things that Tom Rothman at Sony brought up when we spoke was the end of episode one, the pilot of Jessica Jones, the scene in the elevator, which I Mm -hmm. won't say what it's about for those that haven't seen it and might want to go and revisit it. But there was a scene in an elevator that was kind of probably peak psychological thriller for that for that episode and he saw that and that's why he came to me with it so I guess in many ways I was very lucky they'd already uh seen my work within that world um so yeah but it was the big thing was discussing the clairvoyance with them and the narrative and how we can make this a story that feels new and fresh now were there any cinematic influences Oh, I mean, yeah, everything. I mean, I've obviously, you know, you, you just you just watch everything, even from the talented Mr. Ripley to Terminator 2 to Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love. I mean, you know, nothing's off the table when I, when I prep because sometimes I'll choose a film to watch when I'm prepping that's totally unrelated to sort of the themes of the movie just to kind of find that influence in filmmaking and how it transcends each genre or can do that. So that's what excites me the most. But there were definitely, you know, tons and tons that you watch of reference you know 
to these type of things, memento and inception and, you know, anything to do with the mind, you know, and playing mind tricks. So tell me about getting this murderer's row of, of actresses together, Dakota Johnson, Sydney Swede, Isabel Merced, Celeste O'Connor. How did this all come about? I mean, you're directing a Marvel project for a major studio. Mm-hmm. Do you have a lot of autonomy over casting or is there a lot of checks and balance? Does Mr. Rothman have to have sign off here? Of course, you're doing a big studio movie. You're not going to be given carte blanche of the checkbook, if only, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, but, you know, thankfully we, I think when I pitched it as a psychological thriller and I wanted it to feel grounded and the way I would approach it is definitely giving it sort of a bit more of a gritty feel you know, and a realness, you know, a real sort of relatability to the real world. Um, and we talked about a lot of actors and Dakota came up and I just find her depth and breadth as an actor. She's incredibly grounded, but I always saw that potential for her to work in a more action space. I wasn't sure, but, you know, I was kind of intrigued by the idea of it. You saw Suspiria? I did, yeah. Suspiria, yeah. I thought, was extraordinary piece of filmmaking wacky and like crazy but she went there and I was like that is that's some dark territory and dark turf and I felt that for somebody who was going to have these you know psychological moments of sort of you know somewhat torturous to see the future and not really know what you're seeing or how to deal with it I thought I think she might deal with this quite well you know and she is also an excellent driver so with Cassie being a paramedic I was like can you drive and she said I can drive but you ask actors a lot, can you drive? Can you ride a horse? Can you speak French? And they can all they have to say yes. In, they can all do it right. And you get to set and they're like, oh, I, I actually can't. Never ridden a horse or whatever. She literally was like, no, 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 I can drive. And I was like, okay, let's see. And on her first day of stunt rehearsal, she did a 180 stop turn and landed perfectly between the two cones. So I was like, we're going to be all right. So, you know, she really is a real prime action material. Um, and then as far as Sydney Sweeney goes and Isabel and Celeste, getting them on board. Well, well, Sydney and I actually weirdly worked together years ago. We did our first uh, episode of American television together, Heroes, way, way, way back. Wow. Yeah. It's my first wow. I cast her and it was her first episode. So, you know, not that we'd sort of stayed in touch, but it was like, wow, kismet that we sort of reconnected. And I was really excited about her taking on Julia. It's It was so different from everything she was playing at the time. Very different character. Um, and I thought it would be quite exciting to see what she did with it. And we met and she was fantastic. And then she was there and then it was about forming the rest around them. And I remember Celeste sending in a self-tape and just she just screamed Matty. They were just completely vivid, inimitable, you know, just completely there. And uh, Isabella, the same, just had such a freshness and vitality to her, but also something beneath the surface that uh, Anya Corazon has. And then we got them all in a room together and we did the casting process, what I like to call chemistry reads, the good old fashioned way. You get them all in and get them together. And you start doing a bit of improvisation, which I think they were a bit freaked out by originally. But, you know, I come from theatre and I think sometimes that's a good way to play. And they were terrific. And sort of as the as it went on, as the sort of the sessions went on, we had a couple of sessions where we would change things up. And the alchemy between them just was palpable. It was just magical. And I thought, I think I think these could be our spiders. So there has been this, um, and I think it's a false logic, not to lead you in your answer, 
But I do believe it's a false logic. There's this notion out there that fanboys don't like female superhero movies. And I think this has come about in the wake of the Marvels not working. But then you've got movies like uh, Wakanda Forever, which was a very female superhero movie and which worked tremendously in addition to pre-pandemic Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman. What's What's your notion on this theory? I mean, seriously, studio marketing people... Uh, at all studios are like kicking the tires at this theory that fanboys don't like female superhero films. I don't think it's true. I think, you know, my hope was to make a great film, to make a great psychological thriller within the Marvel universe that obviously has female characters at the center for sure. Yeah. But they're also great characters. And I think great characters transcend gender and genre almost. And I'm, I'm really excited. I agree. Feedback I've had. I mean, my two godsons came to see, you know, a, an early version of it. And I was like, oh, let's see what they think of it. And they absolutely loved it. And they're big Marvel fans. And, and they loved Jessica Jones. And obviously, there's probably a little bit of bias in there. But, you know, I was really overwhelmed by their insight and take on it. I was like, they're smart. And, you know, they're a generation that kind of sees beyond that which I was really encouraged and excited by and I hope this film's for everyone I really do I don't think it excludes anybody um you don't have to do homework to go see it you know because it's a standalone so you come to the party fresh you know and I really do think there's some cracking characters in there and it's about the journey they go on there's an emotional heart there's thrills psychological thrills there's action there's fun there's some big action bigger bigger than I think I initially thought it was going to be you know there were some big pieces so I'm really excited and I hope I hope everyone feels it's for them I was reading that you were going to direct and executive produce a Game of Thrones prequel Mm -hmm. pilot called Blood Moon with Mm -hmm. uh, Naomi Watts Mm -hmm. and I was curious what happened and are there any plans for you to return to the Game of Thrones universe in the near future? Well, I've not had the phone call yet, but, you know, I'd happily pick up the phone to them. Um, yeah, we did. I made a pilot. I made a great pilot, I think. A wonderful script by Jane Goldman. And I think we did a pretty good job. And Naomi Watts is sublime. I think she's such a wonderful actress. So it was shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We shot it. Effects and all. Well, I mean, you know, we were in the post stage, so I don't think, you know, I'm not sure I'd want people to see it. It was very much post busy, but yeah, we did shoot a pilot, you know. But I, I guess you'd have to talk to HBO about the rest of it. I know, I, I know, I did my job and delivered it. Man, well, so that's out there. We, you know, that's out there in some sort of secret vault, Blood Moon, somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> What's next for you? Oh, do you know what, Anthony? I finished this film terrifyingly a week ago today. Uh, I literally, you know, put the two sound, you know, picture and the final VFX together a week ago. It is Friday today, isn't it? I'm losing track of days Friday. So I'm going to take a vacation. Uh, I've been two and a half years on this. I've given everything at it. You know, it's, uh, I'm thrilled to have had the opportunity, but I'm definitely going to take a little break. S.J. Clarkson, thank you so much. Thank you, Anthony. So nice to meet you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.